0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the ASM podcast. I'm your host, Luddy Thompson, and today I'm joined by CTO of Cormont, Rob Johnson. Hello, Rob. Hi hey there. How are you doing? <laughs> Good. We we've, we've just joked about what I can call Rob. He's, he's Robert on LinkedIn. And I've just asked him whether I can call him Rob and fortunately, um, he gets told off to Robert. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, stick with Rob for now. Um, so, so Rob is CTO at Cormon. Cormon spun out of a very successful, absolute return investment manager in Brevin Howard and Rob, you joined pretty soon after they were founded, right? I think they are founded in May and you sure. sort of joined in November.
1: Yeah, I was, I was effectively brought in to scale the business because uh, they'd gone from uh, supporting a single client uh, who were effectively uh, co-located to supporting, um, well, planning to support multiple clients. So um, we'd already developed, we had well-developed processes to support buy-side firms, but there was a lot of challenges. Um, single, supporting a single co-located client base is, is one thing, but co-location engenders clear barriers to scale. So we had to transition from servicing single client to multi-client, uh, co-located to geographically diverse, and correspondingly uh, on-premise to cloud-focused to give us that sort of open-ended scale potential.
0: There you go. So quite quite a long, extensive job description then that you had to read through.
1: Pretty much. Uh, it, it, it required... Uh, a substantial focus on um, on the new business and the new business delivery. So, effectively, Cormont was a, was established to provide uh, a full stack servicing and support model for the finance sector, and they already had that. They had a, a, a before I joined, they had a, a range of services from which clients could pick and choose, or they could take the whole stack. So they got. Uh, we, we talk about uh, the five sort of pillars, which is legal and compliance support, investor relations services um, trade processing and fund accounting, risk services and a portfolio management system to deliver curated market data, pricing, modeling and analytics. Now, the last piece they didn't have, uh, it was nascent at the time. In fact, we only went through MVP, uh, Minimum Viable Product, in February this year with that. Um, And that was very much key to the delivery of the services to geographically diverse clients. Um, It's functionally rich. It's a content delivery portal, effectively. And that led us to the realization that we've become a fintech. (laughs) And that's what we've become. We've gone from being a hedge fund to being... Uh, a fintech. In fact, we doubled in size from around 90 when I joined to well, like I, a lot of lost track as well over 180 now. Uh, and we've also added offices in Hong Kong and the US, Although the majority of the team members are still in London. Uh, but, but we need that conventional three centre support model because we have clients as far east as Tokyo and as far west as California. And people like to talk to people in their own locale, really. Um, that that's just normal. Um, the vast majority of the expansion has been in technology related roles, specifically developers. Uh, what, did, what was the fact? Developers, 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 I love developers. So most of our systems are written C-sharp and deployed on AWS, although the UI is in React and we've got some Java and some Scala where it where it's important and uh, appropriate.
0: So before we talk about Cormont, the firm, one thing I'm really interested in is you, so for anyone that doesn't know, Rob spent, um, <laughs> well, I, th- I think more people do, I think people do more time for, for murder, but he spent 18 years um, at one firm on, on the sell side. Um, yeah. And so I, I won't ask whether you enjoyed it or not, because for obvious reasons, it seems like you did. But when, when it comes to the point that you spoke to Cormant to at the time, and it may not have even been Corman, I'm really interested in what that conversation was. <laughs> did, did, did you speak to Brevin at the time who said, hey, listen, we've got this plan for this. Or did you speak to Jeff as soon as it was spun out? Like, how, because it's different uh, to the beast it is today, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I I spoke to, um, I, I knew people who knew people. I, as ever, I spoke to Jeff. Uh, Cormont wasn't Cormont at the time. It had a, a, a an interim name. So it, it was an entity, but it, it was a bizarre sort of obscure name. I um, can't remember what it was now. Um, but the... the 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 plan was there and and actually they had engaged a third party consultancy to help with the um, build of the UI, but there was a hell of a lot to do. It was kind of, I walked in and it showed, okay, let's meet the developers and those two. (laughs) We we had some way to go with respect to building the team, it's fair to say. Um, But yeah, I came from the sell side, moved to the buy side um the similarities similarities massively outweigh the differences it's fair to say uh but it is very entrepreneurial here and the opportunity to do this which is like a hedge fund in a box uh, or an asset manager in a box or even a bank in a box that's what we're providing as long as you've got a wheelbarrow for cash and an investment idea we can do pretty much everything else so I just looked at it and thought, well, nobody's really doing that. You've got people selling products, systems, or vertical silo bits of this, 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 this infrastructure. And not the but no- service. Oh yeah, no, nobody's going, well, here's the service. You can have all of it if you want, and we'll take it from there, from like onboarding even like right, legal and, uh, and compliance pieces. So, so
0: as you put it, then, to, to, to those that have the wheelbarrows of cash, the, the, those in the financial industry, why is a firm like Cormon, and maybe not even as specific as Cormon, but just the service Cormon provides, why is that so important to these, these firms? Because we, we hear so much about proprietary technology yeah. and in-house technology, but it's simply not okay. always the best way to go.
1: Sure. Well, okay. C- consider the industry background to this. You have buy side, you have sell side. Banks, hedge funds asset managers, even insurance firms. Slightly dirty secret I mentioned was that the the similarities massively outweigh the differences. A far greater distinguishing factor is perhaps the size of the firm and the support structures they've got. So to generalize, large large firms tend to have good well-defined support structures, but the processes can be a bit tricky to expedite. it's, it's hard to fight the machine. Small firms are potentially much more nimble, but you have to be prepared to flow with it. Um, you can't necessarily rely on someone else to do the scaffolding for you while you build your bit. Um, you have to be more open to a broad range of tasks, perhaps more entrepreneurial, um, certainly more comfortable getting involved in different facets of technology or the business or both. But let, let, let's take a look at, at, at that example, a traditional bank, hedge fund or asset manager, and uh, uh, why this is important. They'll have generally they will have well defined a well-defined service model, right? So there that enables them to offer products to their clients. So uh, they'll also buy data and systems to support these internal services at a, at a quite a great cost. So let's consider you got four tiers to this firm. There's the product, the services, the IT systems, uh, that underpin the services, and the data feeds that drive the IT systems. The real issue is it's only that top level one that makes any revenue. Tiers two, three, and four are all costs. And that's, that's just the start of the, of the horror show for them. None of these costs are mutualized. The costs are lumpy, not necessarily predictable systems require regular upgrades and periodic very expensive replacement and I mean when was the last time your trade lifecycle management system was replaced. It's not trivial. Um, It's it's a, a seven, maybe more figure bill. Correspondingly, all these systems require large technical teams to maintain them and often because they're quite old and heavily patched so that the processes suffer due to substantial cost of unpicking years of patching. And the data feeds and the IT systems all come at a cost, but also require a lot of licences. So you get more more further costs and you got to monitor them, you've got to do audits to service, etc., etc. Fundamentally, what we're offering is to take away that pain of tiers 2, before. So our clients just focus on alpha. That's the part of their business that makes them money. It lowers the barrier to entry for startups uh, and it reduces the cost for mature businesses. What we're seeing is a replacement of this sort of monolithic business that provides all the services down to the application or the operating system level, sometimes as far as the tin, with The potential to take part in service tessellation. So, fitting third party services together with your own to make the full stack. So, if you've got, so imagine you've got 10 great investment ideas, but you spend half your time doing SIM calcs for initial margin, writing trade feed handlers, calculating VAR, whatever it is. You end up only having time to execute on five of your brilliant ideas. What a massive waste of your time and resources. Moreover, are you making any money because you just wrote another trade feed handler? Probably not. Is that a valuable use of human or financial capital? I don't think it is. And that's why it's important. We're enabling people to focus on their alpha. So,
0: arguably, and and this may be, correct me if I'm wrong, but could firms may, maybe? When I spoke to CTOs in the past, it sounds like the projects that get put at the top of the priority list are the projects that are closely, are the most closely aligned to Alpha. And as much as we can put the the tiered system, as you say, and there's layers and layers and layers, and that top layer is Alpha, which let's say is the strategies that they're running, which is very much defined by which firm it is, but every single layer beneath that, which is more infrastructure and technology focused is very much similar to whatever environment it is, bank, hedge fund, whatever it could be. So is it common, and have you seen this trend so far that people are just saying, well, you know, all of these tech problems from the legal and compliance perspective and these other perspectives that aren't maybe front office trading system focused, Will just offshore it to a third party to take care of it instead I feel like that's when people say we use third parties is when it's maybe lower down the priority list in terms of. How close it is to rev generation and then those systems get replaced, have you found that the majority of the firms that you've partnered with are partnering with you on those sort of systems, as opposed to the ones more closely aligned to, to alpha or are you actually building everything for them.
1: Well. Uh, if, if they're a new fund as a startup, for example, then they would take everything from us, generally, yeah. because uh, they've got nothing to lose, it's really nothing to lose. They have no infrastructure. So it's very straightforward to just come to us and take everything. Um, larger firms are looking at it from a cost perspective, and there's the mutualization of costs. So we feel confident that we can do things cheaper. Uh, and we take away all that pain of maintaining legacy systems. So I'd say it's a mix. Um, Obviously when we started up, I said we only went through MVP in uh, February this year. Uh, We inadvertently picked up six clients on the way to MVP who sort of partnered with us to help us build our portfolio management system. So they had significant design input into it. Latterly, we, we continue to look at startups, obviously, new, new uh, funds, but we're also talking to more established funds who are, or, or even banks actually, um, who are looking at opportunities to rationalize, um, reduce costs, take away the pain, reduce, dare I say, headcount. Um, because all these things can't come to significant costs and margins are getting thinner in a lot of places, so it, it's just an obvious uh, move to make, provided and provided you talk to somebody in this space that has a history and an ability to understand it. I, I want to distinguish between what we do, which is the full service model, from buying a system. If you just buy a system, okay, you've got something that'll do the trick, but. You have to support it, you have to maintain it, you have to patch it, and eventually it will go out of date and you'll have to replace it. So you constantly spend on that. Your your fixed cost goes up. With us, we, we, we will arrange a manageable fixed cost basis for our engagements with clients. So people know what they're getting and it's driven by a service level agreement rather than by a technology contract. And you're not, you don't have key man dependencies either. So uh, we take that away too.
0: So you essentially jump in the middle, you say you used to do this, now you do this, let's take it all and let's give you exactly what you need. You go from lift to launch, you remove the cost from the existing client, increase the functionality, give them a breadth of functionality and capability. And then also on top of that, do all the legal and compliance, everything else as well.
1: Absolutely, yeah, in a nutshell. So
0: <laughs> I made the mistake of, of, of comparing buyer side to sell side as opposed to probably more relevant large versus small, which I'm sure you would have corrected me on in terms of the, uh, the differences between, between these firms from a technical perspective. The difference is that they're either large or they're small, buy or sell side typically have a similar <laughs> looking tech under the hood that I've been told many times now. Um, with that in mind then, if we look at bringing someone on board and someone coming to join a firm like Cormont, how hard is it for you to identify talent when actually the people that you're providing a service to could be in a array of different firms? Is it, you know, if you're providing to a bank and to a hedge fund, would you prefer to hire someone from a bank from a hedge fund? Or certainly for the listeners listening now that don't work it either, is it important? Or are there other fundamentals that matter so much more than that?
1: It's not whether you've been on the buy side or the sell side. Uh, there, there are a number of attributes that, that we would look for. Um, we value all kinds of skill sets. So first step is your technical skill set, obviously. That, that's that's, uh, that's uh, interview 101. But so, typically people will know a lot about their own specialism. Um, they will also have a broad spectrum of technical interests. And the overarching theme is a desire to learn and improve. So some folks have got 20 years of experience on their CV, but if it's 20 years doing the same thing, that's really just one year of experience. Don't expect to get a a raise if you haven't improved. Um, Although our firm has has grown organically, I I guess a a challenge we foresaw as being a potential issue was was maintaining that sense of inclusion because we have people come from, from lots of different backgrounds and sell side even from outside i hired a guy from an architecture uh, firm not about a year ago and he's proved to be extremely good uh, but the sense of inclusion felt by the new joiners is, is something that most firms worry about will they integrate but you also have to think about those that have been with the firm throughout the transition process because we've grown quite a lot and, and, and appreciating the value that both bring is key so new ideas from one party institutional knowledge and experience with services that work work well already from the other, both are contributing valuable learning opportunities. Another one would be communication. So people need the ability to communicate well, both verbally and in written form. Now I know that's kind of like, duh, duh but <laughs> you, you've met technologists, right? That's a, we're not the best communicators out there. So, Um, If you can't articulate your problem, nobody can help you. If you can't document your application, nobody else can support it. And on the subject of being indispensable to the organization, there's a better term for that. It's key man risk or key person risk. There are people in this industry who are code hoggers. They hate anyone else touching their code to the extent that they feel like they're the only one that can support their system. There's no place for them, like for people like that here. It's a defense mechanism, it's a fear of criticism. So constructive criticism is what makes us better at what we do, It's a key aspect of learning. and You've got to be able to communicate to other people for that. A point I try to make to new starters is, is if you ever make yourself indispensable, then I am duty bound to dispense with your services immediately, because the longer I let that aspect persist, the more risks the organization will be subjected to. Uh, And we've got flexibility, right? So uh, that's another key attribute. Uh, You've got to be able to, in our firm, we're we're quite a small firm. We've got to be able to flex and reprioritize. We have different clients with different needs. Things happen in the marketplace. Uh, We make constant alterations to the rudder, which means work focus can change really quickly. An agile mind can contact switch within reasonable, sensible parameters. Uh, so the ability to wrap a project quickly, uh, to be revisited and switch to something else for a period of <clears> time, <throat> that, that's very helpful. And, and I guess another one is attitude. You might go to big firm, the big rigid corporate hierarchy and you've got like associates and vice presidents and directors and executive directors and executive directors look down on directors who look down on vice presidents and... We don't have any of that. Um, they, these things, they tend to they introduce barriers rather than facilitating information flow. So, so people see a value in moving from being a level three manager to a level two manager or to a vice president to an executive director or whatever. They shouldn't come here. We, we don't have corporate titles. We only have functional ones. Uh, and generally, I'm happy for people to come up with their own functional job title, but in reason. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I'd, love, I'd Dut- love to come to Cormont <laughs> and become the managing director of recruitment.
1: <laughs> the Dark Lord of the Sith. I've turned that one down. <laughs> now, we've got a very flat corporate structure. And anyone can wander up to the CEO for a chat, for example. It's that kind of place. Yeah. Just don't Manchester United because he's a fan and they're not doing very well. Apparently. Yeah, I um, if we if
0: we get onto football, I'll be here all day because for the first time in thirty odd years, being a Spurs fan is a positive for once. So um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll keep away from that. But the, the points you made there, there's so much that we can talk about in in that point you just made, and I'm gonna sort of try and categorise every every point you made there into two main aspects, which is being agile, and then also there was a cultural aspect that you mentioned, but. The one thing you mentioned about language and and being able to speak to people, it's really interesting because what I've found is when you get more senior, you'll know it yourself, but when you get more senior, the, the communication aspect gets harder because you have to make more complex language a lot more simple because you're communicating with a lot more people that are outside the tech bubble now. Whereas if you're a software developer and a team of software developers, you feel really comfortable in your community talking in a certain way, in a certain language, because you all understand it. And the more senior and more senior, the more exposure you get, I should say, the more you have to break down, you know, the, the complex scenario to that of which a dummy could understand. And then also put it back in a way that it still makes sense and it's still, um, it's still clear and concise. And so... I find that a lot of people, unfortunately, at that development level, get stuck in their ways by thinking that they've got great communication because they speak to their peers, but they don't realise that actually that level of communication is flawed because when you're more client-facing, it really kills that ability to to do so. But moving on to the agility and then onto culture, being agile, I, I think that's probably one of the most attractive reasons why someone would potentially come and join Cormont because you have to be agile in order to change quickly. And if a new client, for example, has a new requirement, you need to move quickly in order to help them out. So is that one of the key USPs for why Cormont so successful? And is that also one of the key pools as to why someone would join Cormon as opposed to just being stuck between the, the same four walls all the time, being able to experience this change?
1: Yeah. Um, on your last bit, you, you mentioned, uh, as you get more senior, you have to talk less technically. That's actually quite easy because as you become more senior, you become less technical. So I actually find put my hand up and going, I don't understand. Now, I was an Uber geek back in the day, or I like to think it was, um, but nowadays I'm actually in that mid ground. And I find it's very useful in a meeting of lots of people to put your hand up and go, no, sorry, I just don't understand. I don't get it. You have to explain it because for some people, Tech speak is a defense mechanism of it, uh, of its own uh, and it's what they feel comfortable with. So yeah, I agree. Uh, you're absolutely right. Um, it gets easier to, 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 to talk less technical as you get more senior because you spend a lot more time doing people's stuff. Uh, but you do have to remember that you're the person in the room that has to put their hand up and say, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, on agility, yeah, that, that's fundamental to what we do. I mean, you could you could go into a big bank and join the fixed income department and you'll die in the fixed income department. You can spend your entire career and all you've ever done is corporate bonds. Now, we're not like that. So, but agility, it, it, it has a number of different angles to it. So you've got corporate agility. So that's the I drew a generalized picture earlier of a large lumbering firm and a small nimble or agile firm. That, that's oversimplistic. A large well-run firm can be agile, but you don't become agile with a small A by just trying out agile with a large A methods. You have you have to make them, they, they've got to run through the firm like black through Rock. So most firms that have survived in financial services for the past 20 or 30 years may be back big firms, but they'll have shown themselves to be agile because nobody went through the big bang, the dot-com crash, 2008, without some demonstrable agility, there were some pretty well-publicized big firm failures. But there are a lot that didn't, and that's quite fundamental. And, and not many of them are living off legacy businesses still. They had to change. But remaining agile as you transition from small through mid-size to large firm, it, that, that's clearly a massive challenge. <clears throat> and there's no doubt there's, there's endless management books uh, have been written about it. So growing the firm and significantly expanding its mandate, that can present a lot of difficulties. So uh, one challenge for us in growing organization is maintaining agile governance. So the decision-making doesn't get cumbersome, it doesn't slow you down with the knock-on effect that staff morale suffers. Uh, Cormac, we have a big focus on keeping bureaucracy to a requisite minimum. Um, we only have two committees, and the reason I'm in the office today is because one of them was today, and that's the one I chair.
0: Is that um, the, oh, the tech committee? I was gonna come on to that, yeah. The executive committee versus tech, committee, and it's just yeah.
1: you and Jeff, right? So we only have <clears> two committees. Well, one is the executive committee, and one is the technology and security committee. So there's actually only 24 requisite meetings that the firm holds per year and not everyone's mandated to to attend them. But we, we, we do have constant communication. And one thing that is key is the desire to optimize through change and improvement. In short, trying stuff out. So challenging processes is of paramount importance to maintain velocity, right? Nobody likes unnecessarily slow processes, and that's part of corporate agility. So, one, one consequence of our openness to new ideas and trying stuff out is an improved release cadence. So, when I joined, we were doing fortnightly sprints. Uh, now we, we release multiple times a day, including uh, continuous deployment, continuous inter- in CI CD. Yeah, CD, yeah. Uh, continuous deployment, just key modules. You can't do that for everything. But, and we run a, a blue green deployment model. So, we've got uh, full uptime there. And that's, that's something you only get if you're prepared to keep trying new stuff out and seeing what works for you. If you come down a tier from the corporate level of, of agility, you've got team agility. So this is constant review, automation, um, avoiding building in manual steps to processes that don't demand them. Just as it's become normal across the industry to sort of to conflate development and operations into DevOps we emphasize that that point by uh, actually creating a role of head of production and change. It's the same thing, okay? This, this probably sounds like sacrilege, someone in a big bank that has two bank, yeah, change the bank, run the bank, change the bank, run the bank. We don't, we keep them the same. It's the same people. Think about it for a minute. The people carrying out operational aspects of the firm, they're integral its evolution so they must be agents of change for your organization because otherwise they're going to do the utmost they're almost to to preserve the status quo which is not any change if if they see it as a threat that i mean how would you feel if if you were in team run the bank and the superstars from team change the bank waltz into your office tell you everything you're doing is wrong spend months building a new process or system or operational framework whatever and they swan out, leaving you to deal with it. Talk about, you know, you're playing for the B team, really. Mm-hmm. And, and how, how disenfranchised are you going to feel about, about that? So everyone's got to be involved in that constant review. Um, and and if someone comes comes to you to, in, in a in a recruitment situation, and 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 they give the impression that they never changed their processes, they've gone and done the same thing. Just don't hire those people. They're, yeah. They're, they're, people they need to have continual review as part of their dna really otherwise the roles don't change they become dull and their careers are going to stagnate so who who wants those people i mean finally it's worth mentioning tech agility because i mentioned previously that we went to um got went from two weeks sprints to uh continuous deployment yeah and so there are technical as- aspects to agility right you've got we're on cloud we're, we're heavily into aws so what this has done is it's freed up the platform of many of the restrictions such as long release cycles and limited test capacity and slow infrastructure provisioning that kind of thing these are all familiar complaints in traditional it departments if i wind back about 10, 50, well, 15 years maybe. There's always a moan about, about how do we test this? Because we have to line up all the test systems and we've got a slot in two months time when we can have our test systems aligned. We don't have that. Cloud offers us potential for staff development as well. Right, like You don't have to just do traditional systems. Um, these are all attractive features for the development teams. Uh, when we, I mentioned the deployment, but when we we scale environments on demand, um, so we don't restrict the development teams. But but when we do a merge request, we spin up a test environment on the fly. So our that that, that runs all the all the regression tests, the unit tests, uh, integration tests, and if the, if they pass, it gets merged to trunk. Tear down the tear down the environment and minimum cost and that's one of the metrics i used to see how busy people, how hard people are working is how many releases they've done i look at my aws bill and if my releases <laughs> cost me more money they're doing more releases So good
0: Rob, what i want to do because I, I i want to run over here because i actually want to touch on one more point that i think is really important and uh, I spoke in the initial introduction to the Atom podcast on why it was being created as, as much as I've spoke to you about it as well. And the, the main reason why this has been created is for our target audience. And I think that you've touched on so many points that would be so relevant to a lot of the target audience. That The one question I have for you at the end now is, is to maybe touch on, on the very top level of our target audience, which is other CTOs and CEOs working in the world of finance, no matter whether it's buyer side, sell side. And the one question I have for you is, really a question on culture because you've got a very well-run committee and firm you are a technologist yourself and you're at the very top of of this business and I think a firm being run from a technical standpoint as opposed to a business standpoint is a a lot more effective in this day and age in the technological revolution that we're in how have you managed especially in 2020 doubling in size in, in the space of a year how have you managed to keep organic growth and also maintain that culture? Because I I see a culture change in the business when you go from five to 10, let alone 90 to 200.
1: Sure. Well, okay. First of all, uh, just to wind back to a comment you said, you said running a firm from a tech perspective rather than a business perspective. We don't do that. Everything is run from a business perspective, but technology plays such a key part in that. It has to be integral to the decision-making process. So our business and tech functions are uh, inextricably linked, but everything we do is from a business perspective. All of our development is either driven by regulation or client re- client requirements or technical debt remediation, pretty much. Okay, so, so the big driver for us, just like anyone else is our clients, dis- demands because we knew we had to build a product. We knew roughly what it, we wanted it to look like. Um, but we wanted to partner with them to get it built. So we had a great tie up with a, a wide range of business users. And that's why we, we took on um, half dozen clients before we were actually ready to, with a fully fully complete product, it was so that we could design it with the client in mind. Now, you talk about culture, so we we organically brought people in. We didn't go, I want a team of 30 people to do if it's 2 or whatever it is, or 60 people or 100 people. We didn't grow like that. We went, in each of the teams, well, first of all, when I joined, I rejigged the teams into sort of more functional units, so they each had clear responsibilities and ownership of of areas of of the business. That's step one, So, so build the team structure correctly to reflect the functional requirements. After that, it's been organic growth. So one team has gone from like two or three people to approaching 30, 40 people in that time and that is building out our portfolio management system. Uh, Other teams have gone from three people to six people. Uh, It's kind of where you you identify, you look at your your support requirements and you identify a gap. Look at your applications. I've got primary, secondary and tertiary support for my applications. If I don't mark it in red, I've got something missing there. And you look to see where you have um, requirements and you put a person in there and you hire a person. If you, if you get a team and you say, right, you're a team of four, you've got to become a team of uh, 10 uh, in two months. That's not going to work. You'll lose the culture. You need to go, right, you're a team of four, you need to become a team of five, and then a team of six, yeah. and then a team of seven over a period of time. It's, it, we had that luxury, I suppose, to grow organically because um, we were pretty well-funded. I suppose. Um, and it, it's worked for us because we've kept that kind of culture and then all going out of the office, it wasn't like we, we continued to onboard people. We hired maybe 30 people over the COVID period. Um, and it's just worked because it was slotting into, um, into feature teams that already existed. So we just grew feature teams, we'd move people between feature teams as necessary, but in a a limited fashion, just to kind of preserve the culture and preserve the dynamism that we need.
0: Perfect. Rob, you've been an absolute pleasure to to speak to. Um, Just briefly on the listeners, if you are on YouTube today, we've gone for the world's greatest mummy mug. Um, I stole this off of my mum, even though I did at one point when I was much younger, give it to her as a gift um i cut an email as we was on this podcast from uh, one of my other hosts saying that my mugs on the way unfortunately one or two of the other the people i've spoken to they're not at the point yet where merch is ready to go last closing point rob on on, on the Cormont merch when, when you start do you get the uh do you get the, the notepad and the the coffee mug and the t t-shirt
1: hint hint we're, we're way too busy we've we just did a website guy
0: <laughs> <laughs> everyone keeps saying that everyone keeps revamping their website in 2020
1: well, no, previously, before MV, during MVP uh, and beyond that, our, our website basically said, come on, go away. <laughs> so now we're actually ready to talk to people. So it's a little more, at least in, in a week's time, it'll be a little more forthcoming.
0: Nice. All right. Well, we are recording this before the new year. So if I don't speak to you before then, have an awesome Christmas and a happy new year. To everyone that's listened, I'm going to share Rob's LinkedIn details on the release of this podcast. So If you want to, Follow him, connect with him, check out his background, any further or ask any questions off the back of this and please do reach out. Um, call him Robert rather than Rob until he tells you not to, otherwise you may get in trouble. <laughs> he's laughing, me you now. he's only joking. Um, but yeah, no, thank you so much, Robert. It's been an absolute pleasure. Best of luck to
1: Cormont in 2021. And uh, yeah, have a great new year. Cheers.